Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. All right. Are you ready for the Word today? Yeah. Well, open up your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Kings, 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 3. And uh, wouldn't you know it, since I have some political folks here, uh, the title of my sermon today is Choose Life. <laughs> Isn't that kind of funny? Yeah, I didn't make the connection until uh, I got in prayer in the green room today, but that's almost like some political statement, isn't it? But we're not going there, okay? But uh, choose life. Everybody say choose life. <laughs> All right. Today, I'm going to encourage you to open up your heart and hear what God is going to say to you. I am so proud to be in a nation where people... Uh, who are running for political office don't mind sharing their faith in Jesus Christ. Our very first Supreme Court Justice, John Jay, you might read some of our founding father's documents, John Jay put forth his opinion to say that unless you were a Christian, you are not qualified to run for public office in the United States of America. Did y'all know that? John Jay. Whoa. Big deal. Amazing, huh? Well, it's not politically correct to say that anymore, but it's true nonetheless. Okay. <laughs> Open up your Bibles, as you did, to 1 Kings chapter 3. Let's begin to read. This is a time in history about uh, 3,000 years ago. Okay? 2,000 years ago, Jesus. 3,000 years ago, David and Solomon. 3,000 years ago, there was this new kingdom. David had been this young king for about 40 years after taking over from Saul, and it was still a burgeoning new kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. They weren't used to having kings. Solomon was going to be basically their third king. The first one they had was not really good, and the second one they had for 40 years, and that's all they knew. And so Solomon, this young man, has just uh, seen the death of his father, and he's inherited the kingdom from his father, and, and his father has prepared so much for Solomon. And uh, David was this, this, this king of war. He pretty much, you know, fought and conquered and, and brought peace. And Solomon is going to enjoy the next 40 years with peace in the kingdom, a time of building, a time of sharing in the prosperity that his father David had accumulated and, and building. He's going to build, a, a, you know, a home, a, an, an opulent home. He's going to build a temple, Solomon's temple, one of the greatest uh, buildings that had ever been built in that time. And, and uh, you know, just um, amazing things are going to happen. But Solomon is needing God. God's help. And so he prayed. God said, Solomon, what do you want me to give you? And you can read about it if you want to in the first part of 1 Kings 3. And Solomon said, God, I want wisdom. And God said, well, Solomon, because you have not asked for money or you've not asked for long life or you've not asked for the heads of your enemies, you know, all you've asked for is wisdom to be a good king. Well, I'm going to give you that wisdom, Solomon. In fact, I'm going to make you so wise that no one else, no other king ever will be as wise as you are. And so wouldn't you know it, about the time that we think and about the time that we receive wisdom and about the time that we get into position, here comes a test. Do you know what's going to happen to you today? 
when you leave here? You're going to be on your way to a test. Whatever you learn today and whatever you receive and whatever you believe is the will of God for your life. You're going to be on your way to a test. So let's begin reading and see what Solomon's first real test was. 1 Kings 3, chapter, uh, verse number 16. Now two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth. And we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. Verse 19. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. And when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had borne. Then the other woman said, No, but the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. Now there are a few things to note before we go further and continue this morning. One thing is that the Bible, as you remember, is not just a history book. The Bible was not written just to give us a historical record of the things that took place in the Old Testament. Rather than just being a history book, the Bible is a road map. It is our road map. It was not written for their sakes to commemorate them, but it was written for us so that we might know how to apply the truth of God's Word to our lives. God uses them as an example to show us a road map on what we need to do. And in order for us to get the full scope of this account, it must be viewed both in light of context and culture of that day. If we just read over these things, we might not realize that this was real life. It may seem like such a foreign account, like such a big thing. I mean, it's in the Bible. It's so big that it, how does it apply to us? How can I boil it down and make it anything that fits my life? Well, Try to put yourself first in the times and in the place of the story that we're reading. And when you put yourself in the shoes of each one of these individuals, look around to imagine what might be going on, what the reality, what are the facts concerning this case. First, how did these two ladies who were harlots, how did they get audience with the king? This is a brand new king. He's just been inaugurated. He's just been, you know, he's just been celebrating. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. How in the world did these two women get to the king? Well, it's not hard to understand why he's hearing this case. Understanding the culture of the day, King Solomon was certainly not the very first person to have heard this. There were inferior courts in that day, and when everyone had gone through every appeal they had, the supreme appeal was to the chief magistrate, to the supreme magistrate, which is Solomon in this case. Solomon was the king. This typifies, and this is an example for us to realize that we have appeal all the way up. God has also given us appeal. In any fair-minded government, gives its citizens opportunities for appeal. 
That's certainly patterned after God because we, when we can and have exhausted all other means, we can always make our final appeal to Almighty God. Throughout history, fair-minded governments have allowed this. No doubt, because this was such a well-heard case in that day, no doubt all eyes were on Solomon. All eyes were on these two ladies. I don't know how many appeals they might have gone through to get to the king, but probably people had their own opinions. As in any case, these things, the longer they go, these things, the deeper they are, the more emotional they, they are, the more divided people get. They tend to polarize people, and pretty soon you have people with opinions on both sides. No doubt your life is that way. The longer you live, the more people are going to like you and the more people are going to dislike you. The longer you're doing your job, the more people are going to appreciate you and the more people are going to not appreciate you. And if you ever get into the public eye, no matter what you do, you're not always going to please everyone. Solomon understood this. You see, Solomon was a young king in his kingdom. He was brand new, and Solomon needed the support of the people, but yet he was well aware that this is something that has polarized people. No doubt there are you know, a group on this side and a group on that side, and whatever I say, I might lose the much-needed support. How am I going to please everyone? These are the things that Solomon was facing. Without divine intervention, any decision he made was going to divide his kingdom and potentially lose support. If you study the word, you will find that some scholars say that these women were not actually harlots. Some say that they had some other trade they were working in, and perhaps they were innkeepers. Maybe that was synonymous, you know, trying to read into it that maybe they were, they were uh, food servers, I've even read in some scholars. Uh, no, they were harlots. 82 times... This particular word in the Hebrew is used in the Old Testament, and every time it means harlot. Every time it means prostitute. Every time it means something akin, you know, several times it's translated whorish. Okay? So these were two harlots, prostitutes. I mean, just look at the facts. They were two women, absent of husbands. In that day, that was rare. The husbands were not making appeal, which would have been the culture of that time, but there's no support seen, anyone alongside them. They evidently lived together, as is their testimony. They shared a house. They had both gotten pregnant, evidently out of wedlock, within a few days of each other. And they were in attendance when the other one gave birth, and they specifically said that they were alone in the house together. And so no one else was there. They had no money, evidently, for any, uh, you know, a, a midwife to come. This indicates, perhaps, and, and at least um, would, would indicate the potential that these ladies might have been out of work for a while, as would a pregnant prostitute for some months. There is a parallel here as well between King Solomon's display of divine intervention and his wisdom with that of Jesus in the New Testament in John chapter 8. Whenever a lower court, the Pharisaical court, 
the lower group of people that were authorized under the law of Moses to bring judgment against an adulterer and adulteress. Instead of that, they brought this woman in John chapter 8 into the temple to Jesus so that he could act as the supreme magistrate, indicating that his decision would be final, whatever he said they would do. You see, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. What we find in the Old Testament, the truth that God is trying to tell us, we can see in the New Testament an example of that truth revealed. Here, Solomon is this type of Jesus. Jesus was confronted by those who had legal right to judge, and yet he was asked to judge. All eyes were on Jesus that day, just as all eyes were on King Solomon. Furthermore, this picture is a picture showing this king who has final authority. He is supreme. He can say anything, do anything, and no one holds him accountable. To whom would you appeal if God decided to send you to hell? Go with me on this. If God decided to send you to hell, if God decided to not forgive you, if God decided he didn't like you and he did not want you in his heaven, if God decided that, to whom would you appeal? No one. His decision is final. Whew. Doesn't that make you want to please him just a little bit more? Now, he won't. He's promised that he won't. But all we have is his promise and our faith and trust in that promise. That's the reality of it. Solomon had that much power, had that much authority. This is a picture of God accepting everyone into his presence without consideration of their age or stage or economic level or, or, or past. It didn't matter. Here is the picture that God's giving us of a just king who cares about others, who cares about more than just his authority. He's showing us a picture of someone who will hear, someone who will listen, someone who, who has no obligation but has a desire to be fair and impartial such as our God. What a picture God is giving us. This is the heart of God and a picture of God's divine justice for all mankind. No matter where you are, who you are, what you've done, what other people think about you or what argument you may have, God will hear your case. His kingdom is open to you. Both Jesus and King Solomon heard the case before attempting to answer. This is very important. It's important to realize that God has not already made up his mind about your situation. God is waiting to talk to you. He's waiting to listen to you. He has not already decided what he's going to do with you. He's not already made his final decision. He is waiting. He is waiting to hear. He's waiting for the evidence. He's waiting for the final word. King Solomon and Jesus Whenever these ladies came before them, they waited, they listened. Solomon would later write in his book of Proverbs that he who answers the matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. We should always be willing to listen. 
We will all do well to hear a matter before making up our mind. We should be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. This is wisdom in action. What does it hurt to fully hear a matter or to hear it again? No matter how many people have heard it, no matter what you have heard about it, what does it hurt to hear it for yourself from those who know it best? Even a fool, Proverbs 17 says, is thought to be wise when he holds his tongue and reserves judgment. Now, let's get to the meat of this morning's word, okay? We've laid the foundation. Are you ready? Let's pick up where we stopped reading. We're in verse 23 now. And so here the king repeats this to make sure he's heard it correctly. It's always good to get clarification. Verse 23. And the king says, the... The one says, this is my son who lives. Your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead one. And my son is the living one. Hmm. Verse 24. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king for she yearned with compassion for her son and she said oh my lord give her the living child by no means kill him but the other woman said let him be neither mine nor yours but divide him so the king answered and said give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him for she is the mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. What wisdom prevails? This divine judgment caused everyone to see and respect and agree with the king. I wonder what happened to that other woman. Have you ever wondered? I've spent a little time just wondering. I know one woman went home happy, and I know a nation was brought back together. I know that, that the divisions were healed. I, I, I know that no one disagreed. I know that everyone had confidence that the king had made the best decision. But I wonder what happened to the other woman. Maybe she repented. Because if she did, she would have found a just king. She would have found open arms. She would have found peace. She would have found a place for her repentance. But if she did not, she lived a lonely life. Guilty, ashamed, afraid, outcast, finding no place, finding no hope. No doubt a person going through that trouble rails against everyone because they feel like everyone is against them. There are people in life who have problems. And there are people in life who are problems. Don't be the person who causes problems. Calling for division 
calling for a sword. All because I'm hurt. You see, those who call for a sword to divide the baby are heartless. They're absent of the love of God that God has for all mankind. The Bible says, mark those who cause division among you and have no fellowship with them. In life, you will find some people are so connected to the negatives, so connected to their own hurt, their own pain, so connected to the injustice that they feel that life has dealt them. They are unhappy with everything. No matter what happens that puts a smile on their face, you know that soon they will be frowning again and complaining about the next thing, the next person. I pray that woman repented. Who wants anyone to live that kind of life? And if you're in that cycle of complaint, if you're in a season of complaint, if you're in a situation in life that all you can see around you are the hurts, the pain, then let me ask you to offer yourself fresh to God. Let Him touch you. Go before Him and let Him, in His divine wisdom, heal the division in your life. He will. You see, this story is not really about the wisdom of God. This story is not really about the wisdom of Solomon. This story is about the love of a mother for her child. This story is about the love that each one of us should have for every other one in life. In this life, you will be hurt. But when your hurt makes you lose perspective, when your pain makes you lose your way, when your disappointments cause you to turn on others, when your pursuit is a pursuit of division, when you think the only way you can win is to hurt someone else, You see, your success and your victory is not in the defeat of your enemies. Your victory is in Christ. Amen. This story is not about the wisdom of Solomon, but rather it's about love. And love will always choose life. This week, your goal is to choose life. Refuse to choose division. Refuse to call for the sword. Most likely, everyone in the kingdom was happy except one person. One person can cause so many problems. She tried to make it all about her. Listen, life is not all about you, okay? It might affect you, and things might hurt you, but it's not all about you.
Don't be divisive. Choose life.